Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father, for this morning. Thank you for the sweet worship, Father. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. And Lord, now, as we're getting ready to dive into your word, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you'll do surgery this morning, that you'll fillet our hearts, you'll go deep down inside, and you'll work on us, God. You'll, you'll, you'll encourage us, sharpen us, and strengthen us, and do your work that nobody here can do, but only your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, Father. Amen. So, first things first. George, how you doing, brother? I'm doing good. Good to see you, man. Hey, Jeff. Hey, Mark. Hey, Camille. Let me, let me, let me, let me throw some love over here real quick. What's up, my brother? How you doing, man? Hey, dude. Welcome to Calvary Chapel, man. Glad you're here, man. How you doing? Good to see you. Hey, Reverend. How you doing, brother? The reason I do that is the title of my message this morning, and it's how do we treat others in the body of Christ? How do we treat other people? That's so important in church life, is that we welcome one another, that we encourage one another, that we come here to church on Sunday mornings to build the kingdom. And when you become a Christian, how you treat others matters. Do you know that? You, you know, you, you can't come in here with a, you know, a chip on your shoulder you know, you can't come in here in the flesh and carnal and upset and mad and angry and all this other stuff. You need to approach believers. Here it is. You ready for this? The same way Christ approached you. He showed you love. He showed you compassion. And now, I, I love this chapter. Written 2,000 years ago, inspired by God, and is profitable for today. It's profitable for today because it teaches us how to treat each other. That's what I love about the Word of God. And that's what I love about Calvary Chapel and going chapter by chapter and verse by verse and just teaching it and, and letting the Lord do His work because it teaches us about everything in life and how to treat others. Uh, why is it important that we understand how to treat one another? Because guys, you're brothers and sisters. We're family. We're family. We're in the kingdom of God together. And so how we treat each other should really reflect that of a, of a, of a, um, of a loving family. And it demonstrates that we're, um, that we're followers of Christ and how, and how we treat each other. I want to sh uh, bring up a couple of verses up on the screen. The first one is uh, Ephesians 4.32, actually John 15.12 and Ephesians 4.32. But look at what Jesus said about how we treat each other. This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Jesus is telling us to what? Love one another. That's not rocket science. That's just as clear, straightforward, a, a God's agape love flowing through us and in us to other people. Then Paul says in Ephesians 4.32, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Three things there. First he says, be kind. Be kind. Don't be mean. Be kind to one another. Be compassionate. That means be understanding. Be, be understanding. And then finally, it says uh, forgive. You know, Christians, we forgive because we've been forgiven. And, you know, I don't know about you, but I know about me. I've been forgiven of a lot, a lot of stuff, a lot of baggage. That's why my grace and my mercy towards other believers is great because I know how much I've been forgiven. And if he can forgive me, guess what? I can forgive you. And that's the way we should be towards one another. You know, also, this is, um, as I was preparing to teach from 1 Timothy chapter 5 this week, I was like, man, this is the blueprint of what we're looking for in the body. This is the blueprint for leaders that we want to serve the body. We want people up here that teach and minister and people that serve within the body that have these characteristics. So y'all ready to dive into the passage this morning? Let's do it, man. Let's, let's see what the Lord says in his word. So we're in 1 Timothy chapter 5, and we're going to make it through the entire chapter. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for your word. Let it strengthen us, encourage us. And again, Lord, we just ask you to do your work and show us how to um, love 
and respect and, and treat each other within the body. In Jesus' name we pray, Father. Amen. Amen. First Timothy chapter 5, verse 1. Uh, actually, we'll read verses 1 and 2. The scripture says, Do not sharply rebuke an older man, but rather appeal to him as a father, to the younger men as brothers, the older women as mothers, and to the younger women as sisters in all purity, the scripture says. So he's laying out what family life looks like, what it, what it looks like to treat one another. And the first thing he says there in those verses, he says, he talks about the uh, older, I'm going I'm to categorize them. He talks about the older men and the older women. And the first thing we do towards our um, ladies and gentlemen that are older is we respect them. We respect them. Nobody this older likes to be talked down to. And so it is. They shouldn't be. You know, they got, they got more revolutions around the, the sun. They've been around a little bit longer. So what we ask is, is, is we respect them and we learn from them and we let them speak into our lives. And then it says there um, in uh, verse 1, it says, Do not sharply rebuke. Do not sharply rebuke someone that's older. You know, if there's someone that's uh, older um, in the body that you feel like that they need to be confronted and challenged, you can confront them and challenge them, but do it in grace. Do it in the spirit of grace and compassion, and do it in private, not in public. You know, talk to them one-on-one on the side, but don't sharply rebuke them. Then it says younger men and women. It says how do we treat them as what? Brothers and sisters. Brothers and sisters. And I like what he, he says at the end of verse 2. He says, um, treat the younger women as sisters in all purity. You know, one of the things that men struggle with is lust. Especially young men, they struggle with lust. How, and one tool that we can use to overcome that temptation to lust, especially within the body, is what? See them as a sister, See them as a sister, as a child of the king. And what does the older brother do for a sister? He defends his sister. He protects his sister. He guards his sister. And that's what we do for our young ladies. That's what we do for our young ladies. It's, it's important how we treat each other. Now, a couple principles that this goes left, right, up, down, across ways, that within the, 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 the dynamics of a family is... It's three principles here. One, we never talk down to anyone. We never talk down to anyone, you know, looking down the barrel of our nose with a, with a prideful attitude. That is wrong and that is sinful. And we should never treat someone in the body like that, talking down to them. In the same way, we don't elevate people. We don't put nobody on a pedestal. Do not put Pastor David on a pedestal. Pastor David is just a shepherd. He's just the pastor of the church. My job here is to preach and teach the word, encourage you, challenge you. As the scripture says, equip the saints for the works of service. But in God's eyes, we're all on the same plane. We're all on the same line. And God's looking out, and we're all just serving, and we're doing our different parts. Here it is, guys. We're all family. We're all family. And let's treat each other like that. Let's treat each other like that, and let's care for one another and look after one another. Amen? So that's important. That that same love and compassion that you have within your family, hopefully that you have, that we have that within the body of Christ. And not being snippety and angry and mad and, and coming in with an attitude, but let's encourage one another and let's build each other up. Let's make let each one of us say, man, I can't wait to get to Calvary Chapel. I can't wait to get to Calvary Chapel and be lifted up, to be encouraged and to be challenged. Amen? Amen? Amen. So let's do that as a family does. Let's look at verses 3 through 8. Verses 3 through 8, the scripture gives a lot of attention and, and, um, to widows, to widows and how we treat widows. So let's dive into this. And I'll, and I'll bring in a couple of verses um, from the Old Testament as we get through this. Let's read verses 3 through 8. Paul addressing Timothy, uh, Timothy the pastor at Ephesus. He says, Honor widows who are widows indeed. But if any widow has children or grandchildren, they must first learn to practice piety in regard to their own family and to make some return to their parents, for this is acceptable in the sight of God. Now, she who is a widow indeed and who has been left alone has fixed our hope on God and continues in entreaties and prayers night and day. 
But she who gives herself to wanton pleasure is dead even while she lives. Prescribe these things as well so that they may be above reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his own, especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Three principles I see in this passage um, when, it concern, when it comes to widows. And that's, that's wives who have, who have lost their husband. The first principle, look down at verse 3. Simply put, he says, honor widows. Honor widows who are, who are, who are widows indeed. God tells us, the church, that we are to honor those ladies whose husbands have passed away. Deuteronomy, give you two verses, one from the Old Testament, one from the New Testament on um, widows. Deuteronomy 10.18 says, He executes justice for the orphans and the widows and shows his love for the alien by giving him food and clothing. So we, we help the widows in life. We help the orphans. We help them not only by prayer and discipling and helping them, but we help them physically too. You know, it, it says... Um, by giving them food and clothing. And then James, James 1.27 says, Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep, one's, keep oneself unstained by the world. You know, sometimes widows can be forgotten, and that's a tragedy, and that should never happen within the body. You know, we go to the Bryan Center Nursing Home, and one of the awesome things about this ministry is we get to minister to widows. We get to minister with us. And there's some widows here within our body, you know, and our goal and our heart is to minister to you, to, to, to help you. But most importantly, we are honoring the Lord by honoring you because you have a special place in the heart of God, okay? God cares about our well-being. He cares about our hearts and our souls and where we spend eternity, but he also cares about this life and and. The, and, and, and and, and taking care of us. And God uses the body of Christ to reach out to those who are hurting, to those who are in distress, the widows. Now, a, a common question that you hear talked about, you know, in, in our world today is who takes care of widows? Whose responsibility is it to take care of the widows? I want to bring your attention to verse 4. Look at verse 4. Verse 4 of uh, 1 Timothy chapter 5 says, But if any widow has children or grandchildren, they must first learn to practice piety in regard to their own family and to make some return to the parents, for this is acceptable in the sight of God. So God puts primary responsibility um, in honoring the widow. He puts it not on the church, but on the family. Now the church, we have a responsibility. We have a responsibility to minister to help, to come alongside the family. But ultimately, he's saying here that, uh, hey, hey, uh, sons and daughters, you, you have to pay back what your parents gave to you. And we see that a lot later in life as, as, our, um, as our elderly uh, parents and widows become older and the, um, and the, and the children begin to, begin to take care of them. If you ever try to contact me from roughly 12 o'clock to 2.30 on Wednesdays, I'm not available because every single Wednesday I, I have to go get a tube of Fix-A-Dent and I have to go get a six-pack of Pepsis and I have to go visit my mom. And she knows on Wednesdays that her son David is coming to visit her at the daycare facility that she's at. But that's part of honoring our parents is being there for them and encouraging them. And the primary responsibility falls on the family. And then if the, if the family can't, then and the church comes along or social programs come along. But ultimately, you know, who, who looks out for the uh, best interest of mom and dad when they get older? Their, their children. Their children. And that lines up with what the Word of God says. That lines up with the Word of God. And look at verse 8. Verse 8, you know, I think it's important to mention verse 8 because it's in context of the same chapter. He says, but if anyone does not provide for his own and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. In the context of the passage, he's talking about widows. So it's very important that the children are in the decision process and making, uh, making sure that mom and dad is taken care of. So that's very biblical. 
that's very biblical that we, that we as ch- our children, we step in and make sure um, mom and dad is, is taken care of in, in their later years of life. The third principle I see here is found in verses 5 and 6. And verses 5 and 6 is this concerning widows. Widows need to be discipled. They're just like the rest of us. They're just like the rest of us. They need to be discipled in the word and learn how to become followers of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 5. Verse 5 talks about a a Christian widow. Verse 6 talks about a a widow that's not one. Verse 5 says, Now she who is a widow indeed and who has been left alone, here's the goal, has fixed her hope on God and continues in entreaties and prayers and night and day. You know, the goal in discipleship for all people, including widows, is to get them to fix their hope on the Lord. That word fix means to be unmoved, unshaken, unmovable. That's what we talked about last week. And so it should be the same for them, that we, that we disciple these ladies. You know, when we go to the Bryan Center Nursing Home, we always have teaching from the Bible. We always have teaching from the Bible. Because even at their age, they need to learn to be followers of Christ. They need to be learned followers of Christ. And it says to uh, continue in entreaties and prayers and night and day. Teach them how to pray. Teach them how to lift up things to the Lord. You know, teach them how to live the Christian life. But then in the passage that we're looking at, there's a second category. And that's found in verse 6. A second category of widows. Look at verse 6. He says, but she who gives herself to wanton pleasure is dead even while she lives. The NASB uses the phrase wanton, wanton pleasure, and, and it simply just means that there, even in this stage of life, there's widows who are living for themselves, who are living for their own pleasure, and that's why they need to be discipled. That's why they need the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why they need to learn and grow in their faith so they can become followers. You know, they got the same struggle that you and I've got, which is that wrestling with the flesh. And we have, we have to learn to be a disciple and be yielded to the Holy Spirit and be submitted to him. So that's the three principles I see there on the widows. Now let's take a look at verse 9. Verse 9 says, A widow is to be put on the list only, only if she is not less than 60 years old, having been the wife of one man. Let me try to set this up here because Paul is changing subjects. He's changing his thought process from uh, verses 8 and 9. It appears in the early church there was this huge ministry. There was this huge ministry to the widows that were, that were needing to be taken care of. Remember back in Acts chapter 6 when they appointed the deacons? What was the purpose of those deacons? To wait on the tables and to take care of, of these ladies. But there appears to be a group of older widows who were put in charge of this ministry. And now Paul... When he says in verse 9, he says, this list, this list is um, a list of the older women that qualify to minister to the, um, to the younger widows. You know, like as I said a while ago, the younger widows, they needed discipleship. They needed role models. Who better to do the job than older Christian widows that could, that could, that could, um, that could, do the ministry. So, so it wasn't just any women could be put in there. It was, it was women that met the qualifications for the servant leadership within the body. Look at verse 10, and Paul talks about that here. These, these older women that are going to minister to the younger ladies. This shows you how important that this discipleship was of the older widows ministering to the younger widows. Verse 10 says, having a reputation for good works. And if she has brought up children, if she has shown hospitality to strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, and if she has assisted those in distress, and if she has devoted herself to every good work. So Paul is laying out, hey, for the women that go on the list to minister to these widows, this, is what the, uh, the, this needs to be the fruit of their life. They need to visibly show their commitment to Jesus Christ. And they need to show, you know, they need to show that they can handle the ministry because there's going to be a lot of issues they face, you know, with, with the widows and their children and their families and, and all the dynamics of the things that go wrong in our families. 
These ladies need to be qualified. So Paul's giving the list. And it appears in the text that this, this ministry commitment was indefinite. In other words, it was once these ladies go on this list to minister to the widows, it was an indefinite commitment. And so now he's going to lay out, starting in verse 11, he's going to lay out why the younger widows were not allowed to be on this list of ministry. So let's take a look at it, verses 11. He's going to give two reasons why, Paul's going to give two reasons why he doesn't want these younger widows to be on this list or this ministry team. He says in verse 11, but refuse to put younger widows on the list for when they feel sensual desire and disregard of Christ, they want to get married, thus incurring condemnation because they have set aside their previous pledge. So we, here we have the first reason why these younger widows couldn't go on the list. And simply put is they may want to get remarried. They, want, they, they are young, they are widowed, and, and, and they, they may want to to get remarried one day. And being a part of this committee that Paul's talking about required a pledge. It required a pledge. And if they married, they would be breaking that pledge. They, they would be breaking our, that pledge. And Paul says, no, you know, hopefully they're going to go off and get married. They'll start new lives. They'll start new families. And, some, and, and they'll be taken care of in the, in the context of a, of a future marriage. And a family. But, you know, as I was looking at this, I, the thing that stood out to me and the thing that grabbed me was this. Looking at this requirement of the pledges that were made by these ladies is this. God takes our pledge and God takes our commitment serious. You know, we need to be cautious before we make a commitment to something. We need to think it out. We need to pray it out. We need to seek the Lord we need to say, Lord, is this what you really want me to do? And God, if this is what you really want me to do, this is my prayer anyway. God, if this is what you really want me to do, give me a burning desire and a passion for it. That's the kind of commitment it was going to take from these older widows to minister to these young ladies. It was going to be very difficult. It was going to be very challenging. And it, they were going to have to buckle down the, the straps and, 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 and be focused to take care of all the things that they were going to face with these widows. And that's very important. But now you can take this now and spread it across any ministry. Whether you want to be a pastor or a missionary or, or serve in a different part of the church, think about it, pray about it, and say, Lord, is this what you really want me to do? Because when I make a commitment, I want to follow through. and I want to be faithful in my commitment before you. Amen? Let's look at the second reason. The second reason is found in verse 13. He says, at the same time, they also learn to be idle as they go around from house to house. And not merely idle, but also gossips and busybodies talking about things not proper to mention. The second reason the scripture gives us for the uh, younger widows not to go on this list is they're, they're just not mature. They're not mature. You know, they're, they're walking in the flesh, as the scripture says. And what these ladies needed more than anything is they needed discipleship. You know, many times people come into the church and they don't have it all together. Praise the Lord, they're at church. <laughs> Praise the Lord, they come to church to grow, to learn, to be discipled. You know, when, when you come to Christ, you don't have it all together, okay? I know when I came to Christ, there was a lot of things he set me free from instantly. But there were some things in my life that I had to deal with that it took time, it took discipleship, it took Bible study, it took taking the things of God serious before God gave me victory and God gave me freedom as I disciplined myself. You know, so, and so it is when people come to church, you know, we come with a lot of baggage. We come with a lot of stuff. And you know what Christ says to you this morning? He says, bring it. Bring it. Because I'm big enough, and I am great enough, and I'm powerful enough to deal with it. And I can help you through whatever you're going through. Whatever is happening, drugs, alcohol, I, I can't, anything. He's the God of the universe. He's the creator of the ends of the universe. He fashioned this world. He fashioned you. You don't think he can't take care of that issue you're going through? 
Come on. Really? He's that great. He's that powerful. He is that awesome. He will help you in your time of need. He will help you become a disciple. He will give you victory over those things that try to pull you down. He will, but it comes through discipleship. So the, the, the ladies, the first reason was they may want to get remarried. They, want to make, they, they may want to remarry. Second reason is they were not mature and they needed to be discipled. And God invites all of us. He invites every single one of us into that intimate, loving relationship with Christ. Intimacy with Jesus. Intimacy with the Lord where you love him so much. And the Holy Spirit begins to work in your life. And it transforms everything else on the outside. That's how it works, my friend. That's how it works. And, doing, and by doing what you're doing now, being a student of the word and studying it. Let's take a look at verse 14. Verse 14, he says, Therefore I want younger widows. Here it is. He, he's encouraging them to, to move on. Therefore I want younger widows to get married, bear children, keep house, and give the enemy no occasion for reproach. For some have already turned aside to follow Satan. If any woman who is a believer has dependent widows, she must assist them in the church not to be burdened so that it may assist those who are widows indeed. It says some have already turned aside to follow Satan. My friend, the battle's real. The battle's real. The battle is real for men. The battle is real for women. The battle is real for teenagers. And the battle is real for widows. It's, 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 it's real for, for all people. Satan tries to pull us away from the Lord. He tries to pull us away and entice us by our flesh. And it's no exception even for our senior citizens. You know, our senior citizens, our most, uh, our oldest people within the body, they face spiritual warfare just like the rest of us do. You know, that's why we have to put on the whole armor of God and fight the good fight of faith. That's where, that's where we'll be next week in First um, Timothy chapter 6, verse 12, where he says, fight the good fight. But the, the battle is real. And, uh, you know, there's nothing in life, you know, we are designed, God designed you, you know that? He designed you to sleep at night, and he designed you to work during the day. And it's very biblical for us to live fruitful and productive lives. You know, whether it's a place of work, place of volunteer, a place of serving, but when we're engaged in work and we're engaged in life and we're engaged in family and we're engaged in things like it, it gives the devil little or no room to operate because we're living fruitful and productive lives. And he's telling these widows here, hey, you've been widowed. If you go, if Lord leads you, get remarried, bear children, keep house. And it says there, give the enemy no occasion for reproach. So the battle is real. So that's what the apostle says to our widows. And if you're a widow this morning, we love you. We want to minister to you. And if you have special needs, bring them to our attention. Bring them to my attention. And let's see what we can do. Let's see how we can help you. I got people, we got people within the body that stand ready to minister to those who need help. And if, or if you know of a widow, um, please let us know. And let us fulfill the word of God in being obedient in ministry to our widows. Amen? Amen. Okay, now the theme is how we address, how we deal with other people. Let's turn to verse 17. The rest of the chapter, uh, Paul now is going to turn his attention to leadership. He's going to turn his attention to how we treat leaders within the body. Look at verse 17. It says, The elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching you know he, he's talking here the, the picture is he's talking about leaders who, um, who serve within the body and they have a deep commitment they have a deep commitment to the body of Christ they have a deep effort in other words they labor throughout the week and in times of ministry. He's talking about people that, um, leaders that serve with excellence. 
and do their very best to minister to the body of Christ. And in verse 17, I like how he adds this phrase. He says, especially of those who work hard, who work hard. The Greek word for work hard there is kopia. It means to work to the point of fatigue and exhaustion. Ministry is not always easy, but it's very rewarding. It's very challenging, and it's very rewarding. We, as a, as a pastor, as leadership in ministry, there's nothing that brings our hearts more joy than when we see that you get it and that you understand it and that we see that you're in the word and that you're growing in your relationship with Christ. That brings us all the joy in the world. When I lay my head on a pillow at night and I think about men's discipleship or ladies' discipleship or Bible studies in church and seeing people dig into the word and, I, and people come in this door all the time, they're like, man, you just teach the word. You just teach the Bible. You know, that brings such joy to my heart. That keeps me, that gives me fuel to keep going. Is, is just to teach the word, and it brings us great joy, even in our hard work, when we see the body of Christ growing. And what God is doing with the worship team is just like a, an amazing outpouring of his Holy Spirit right now. Praise the Lord. You know, um, Dina, remember the early years at Lake Murray Gymnastics? Boy, it was, it was challenging. Dina and Emily would get up there, and they did a wonderful job. They did a spectacular job. But a lot was falling on them on a weekly basis. And then, and then we went to Dutch Fork Middle School, and then we came here, and then God just started pouring out his spirit. And now, what is it, 25 people? We have 25 people, over half of our body, that's serving in worship team or in the sound. And guys, your, your, your work, your labor is so fruitful. It is so amazing. And we're very thankful to each and every one of you guys. And the guys in the sound, um, Brandon and Jeremiah and, and, and all the guys that are up here, we're very thankful for you guys. We're thankful for your hard work because it, it, it is tough. Verse 18, he continues, hey, how about a pastor? Does, does, should a pastor get paid? Let's look at verse 18. It says, for the scripture says, you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing. And the laborer is worthy of his wages. I will never forget this. 1992, I was at Bethel Temple, Assembly of God. I was in church service. I'd only been a believer for a couple months. And we're sitting there in church, and I'm listening to Pastor Ron preach. And I lean over to my buddy, and I says, hey, so what does Pastor Ron do for a living? He, he started laughing. He started laughing. He said, dude, he's a full-time pastor. I'm like, what? He's a full-time pastor? How hard is it to get up on Sunday morning and preach? You know, and, and the, isn't that all pastors do? They just get up and preach on Sunday, and then they go play golf Monday through Friday? That was my shallow understanding of ministry. That was my shallow understanding of ministry. But no, a pastor's job doesn't end on Sunday. A pastor's job is throughout the week. It's ministering to the body. It's ministering to the body. And the body has a responsibility to take care of their pastor. The pastor should get paid. It says in verse 18, it says, the laborer is worthy of his wages. Now, he don't need to be getting rich. He don't need to be uh, um, squeezing the flock and, and be, you know, health and wealth and prosperity and millions of dollars and jets and sports cars. All that. No, that is not biblical. That is not biblical. The scripture very clearly warns us. It tells the pastors in the pastoral epistles, you are not to get rich from the flock. You're not to take advantage of, of, of finances. But it is biblical to bless your pastor financially. The labor is worthy of the wages, the scripture says. And boy, over the next three or four years as I got to know Pastor Ron and got to know the ministry team there at Bethel, I was like, wow, they do a lot of work. You know, I did 26 years in the Army Guard, and um, it can't touch being a pastor in workload, in responsibility. But it's a joy. I love it. God has called me to it, and I'm very thankful for it. But, but carrying the weight of ministry to people is, is such a rewarding and such a blessing. 
and I wouldn't um, trade it for anything. And I'm very thankful that the, uh, the church helps me out um, financially in my weekly job, my weekly serving the body of Christ. Verse 19, verse 19, he says, Do not receive an accusation against an elder except on the basis of two or three witnesses. Now, I'm sure many of you, if you've been around church any amount of time, you know the procedures for confronting someone. Where are they found? In Matthew where? Matthew 18. Matthew 18. Matthew 18 gives us the guidelines for confronting a brother that's fallen away or someone that's living in sin. And it simply says in Matthew 18, number one is we go, you go to the person. You go to the person, and it says, and Jesus said this, he says, you go to the person. You go to the person, and you show him his fault. And if he doesn't repent, then what do you do? You take witnesses. After you take witnesses, then the third step is you take it to church leadership. You know, if someone comes to me and, and has an issue with someone within the church, maybe it's someone in leadership, the first thing I'm going to ask them is, have you followed Matthew 18? Ha- have you followed Matthew 18? And um, have you went to that person in the spirit of grace, the spirit of humility, and talked to them about this? Have you gone and got witnesses? Now, now, you're, now you're coming to me. You know, a lot of times people will see stuff and they want to treat me like the principal. They want to treat me like the principal. Well, I'm here to tell you, I'm not the principal. I'm not the principal. And so, you know, we have a responsibility within the body to challenge other believers when it comes to um, if there's an accusation against a leader. Now, if someone does come to me and says, hey, Pastor David, you know, the elder was at the bar. Paul was at the bar on Saturday night. I'm going to catalog that in my mind. I'm going to catalog that, but I'm going to ask that brother, hey, brother, have you gone and talked to Paul? You know, instead of going to person to the left and the right, I'm going to say, hey, you go talk to Paul, and you go see what's going on. I'm going to catalog it in my mind, and I'm going to make sure it gets followed up on, but ultimately, it's the individual responsibility within the church of each believer to, to challenge other believers and to help them, you know, to... Um, So do not receive an accusation against an elder except on the basis of two or three witnesses. So there it is, the three witnesses from Matthew 18. We use those principles. Um, And, you know, it can be done. You know, I've talked to believers before about things I've witnessed and saw, but I do it very gracefully, very lovingly, very compassionately. You know, I'm not looking down the barrel of my nose, but I'm doing it in the spirit of love. You know, I just, I douse them with grace and love and then say, hey, let's talk about this right here. And you know what 95% of them do? They say thank you. They say thank you. That's the ultimate act of love, by the way. That's the ultimate act of love. If you see your brother doing something, or sisters, you see a sister doing something that's going to wreck her life or it's going to wreck his life, the worst thing you could do is ignore it. The most loving thing you could do is go talk to them. Amen? Amen. Verse 20. Verse 20, he says, Those who continue in sin rebuke in the presence of all, so that the rest also will be fearful of sinning. You know, guys, God, God takes sin and leadership very serious. He takes, he takes it very serious. Why? Because those in leadership affect the body. They affect the body. People will follow their leader. You know, and it's very biblical. It might be uncomfortable, but it's very biblical for a leader who falls to repent publicly. I'll never forget, just a couple years after I became a believer, on a Sunday night, uh, the, the associate pastor of the church I was at on a Sunday night got up before the fellowship and in humility and in tears, he, he hey guys, I've blown it and, and I'm here and I'm repenting publicly and it brought, um, he did it publicly out in the open so the, so the church could see it. And let me tell you something, when we first read that, it's like, whoa, rebuking the presence of all. Um, but when he did that, let me tell you what that body did. That body surrounded that associate pastor with love and grace because he was open, he was honest, and we saw the humility, we saw the repentance, 
And man, they just, they just showered him with love. They showered him with grace. They loved on him. They loved on his family. They loved on his children. It brought, it brought, it brought healing. It, it brought a great amount of healing. And that associate pastor is now a senior pastor today. Except he's not in Virginia. He's in Texas now, and I follow him. But uh, that public repentance, is, it's a lot. You know, it's, it's, it's huge. Verse 21, he says, uh, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of his chosen angels to maintain these principles without bias, doing nothing in a spirit of partiality. Guys, there's one standard for all, okay? There, there's one standard for all. The, the, uh, in the eyes of the Lord, me and Mike, we're on the same page, man. You know, ladies, men, servants, Christians, believers, we're all on the same page. And there has to be one standard for all. And we have to be careful in leadership that we maintain that standard, that, that, that same standard for all. That expectation to, um, we expect those who serve in children's ministry, those who serve on worship team, those who serve in the back, those who serve in the body, we expect of you to live a life above reproach. Because not only are you representing Calvary Chapel, but you're representing Jesus. Ultimately, you're, you're a Christian, and we want you to go out and shine that light. And that's very important. So we, there can't be no spirit of partiality. You can't have one standard for one person, a different standard for another person. Let's continue. Verse 22, he says, Do not lay hands upon anyone too hastily and thereby share responsibility for the sins of others. Keep yourselves free from, the, uh, keep yourself free from sin. You know, uh, do not lay your hands upon anyone hastily. You know, we got to be very careful before we give titles and before we lay hands on people and give people a ministry. You know, it's a whole lot easier to put someone in ministry than it is to take someone out of ministry. You know, there needs to be a season of proving. There needs to be a season um, where people show themselves uh, faithful and committed uh, to the ministry. And I, I, you know, I've seen this happen a lot where a church asks someone to step up into a place of ministry and then something happens that was known about and then they have to ask that person to step down. And what does that do? It hurts. It hurts that individual. It hurts that individual. It hurts the body and it hurts everyone around. And we can't, we can't have that. We can't have that. We want people to grow. We want people to serve. Uh, but we can't lay hands upon anyone hastily. Uh, and then verse 23, we'll continue with verse 23. It says, no longer drink water exclusively, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach in your frequent ailments. You know, Paul loved Timothy. Paul loved his, his young pastor. And now he's given him some medical advice. He's saying, hey, man, you got, you got some ailments going on. And hey, drink a, little, drink a little wine to help kill whatever that is that's hurting your stomach. I find this interesting, though. I find this interesting in verse 23 because um, he says to Timothy, he, said, he, he, he says to him, you have frequent ailments. He says that to Timothy. This is, this is, who is this speaking? Who is this writing the scriptures to Timothy? This is the Apostle Paul. This is the Apostle Paul telling Timothy, hey, drink a little bit of wine because of your frequent ailments. I, I, I wrestle with this because in Acts chapter 19, verse 12, it says that even the handkerchiefs or aprons that touched the Apostle Paul when they were taken to the sick and the disease and those who were possessed of demons, it says that the diseases left, that the evil spirits were driven out you know, as I, I look at this passage and I envision what's going on there, you know, you have to believe that Paul prayed for Timothy's healing. You know, you, you have to believe that the Apostle Paul, who knew the great physician at the right hand of the Father, you had to believe that he prayed for him. Why wasn't Timothy healed? Why, why, why is this, he having this, this frequent ailment? You know, I, I've known godly men I've known some godly men who have suffered greatly. Some of you guys from Calvary Chapel Lexington remember Jose. Jose was a godly man. He loved the Lord, but he suffered with cancer. 
and we prayed for his healing, and, and we just kept believing the Lord was going to heal him. And then the Lord took him home, I guess, about a year ago, year, year and a half ago. But it was very difficult for us to see that. I think about Bobby Duncan. Many of you guys don't know him, but he was a good friend of mine, and uh, he suffered greatly, and he was a completely sold-out, committed, spirit-filled um, Christian who loved the Lord. And he, he suffered greatly um, through, through, through bodily illness in this life. Why? Why, why the sickness? Why the suffering? Why, why the difficulty? Paul, uh, Timothy here had frequent ailments, the text says. I want to sort of present to you what I see. What I see in the Bible. Excuse me. Two things I see in Scripture when it comes to sickness and disease. Number one, I see supernatural healing in the Bible. And let there be no doubts about it. I believe in healing. I believe God heals, reaches down, and touches people and, and, and heals their, their physical ailments. You know, through the laying on of hands, through prayer, we see people get supernaturally healed. I've witnessed people uh, that we prayed for receive healing. But I've also witnessed people we prayed for and they didn't receive their healing. And then that produces all kind of questions, all kind of thoughts like, well, what's going on? Why didn't God heal this person? That, that, hold on a second. That leads me to the second. That leads me to the, the, the second thing I see in the Bible. One is there's, I see supernatural healing. But the second thing I see in the word of God when it comes to disease is an opportunity for us to showcase our faith. To showcase our faith in God's grace. Paul said in Corinthians, uh, God said to Paul, he says, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. You know, even in a believer's trial through a suffering, through a physical ailment, I believe that's when God completely pours his grace on that person and gives that person a supernatural ability to believe and trust. Why? So it can be a witness to those around of how great God is. That's what it does. Another thing, too, when we, when we go through physical ailments and, and we're praying for the Lord to heal and we don't see healing right away, I believe that the physical ailments can purify our faith. It can purify our faith. Why am I really here? Why am I here serving you, Lord, in the midst of my cancer? Why am I here, Lord, in the middle of this physical ailment serving you? I'm here because I want you. Jesus, you are great enough. You are awesome. You are all-powerful. And that serves as a testimony to those around us of how great and how magnificent God is. And we still continue to believe for healing. And we pray for healing. And we anoint people with oil. But so there's two things I see in Scripture. But here he's telling his young Timothy, Hey, you got some frequent ailments. Take some wine for your stomach. Don't let anyone ever tell you that, oh, you shouldn't go to the doctor. You know, that's, that's not good advice. If you have a physical ailment, something's going on, go see a doctor. Go to doctor's care. That's what I'm going to ask you. We're going to pray for your healing. We're going to pray for you. We're going to anoint you with oil. And we're, and we're, and we're going to pray that the Lord heals you. But then we're going to say, hey, tomorrow, go see a doctor. Go see a doctor. See what the doctor says. God, God can use the doctors to heal you too. Praise the Lord. Amen? Amen. Verse 24, let's wrap this up. Verses 24 and 25. It says, this is really good. I, I, this is a, just a term, a letter, a term of endearment from the senior pastor to the young pastor. And he's given him godly nuggets, godly advice. And that's what he's given to you and me this morning is a godly nugget, a godly advice. Look at verse 24 and 25. He says, The sins of some men are quite evident, going before them to judgment. For others, their sins follow after. Likewise also, deeds that are good are quite evident, and those which are otherwise cannot be concealed. 
my final point to you this morning and in this teaching from 1 Timothy chapter 5 is this. This is very important. Your testimony will follow you throughout your life. Live it well. Live it well. Your testimony of who you are will, will, will follow you for years, if not decades. Live it well. Um, three principles as you, as you live your life, as you establish your testimony, as you establish your legacy. The first one is use, the word of, use God's word to make wise decisions. You know, it, it, go to the word of God. And, and let it inform you and make your decisions in life. That will cause you to have a great testimony. Secondly, allow the Holy Spirit to lead you. Get up in the mornings and say, Lord, this is a new day. Holy Spirit, I surrender to you. Lead me, guide me, direct me. And finally, talking about a testimony, your testimony, that's who you are will follow you throughout your life is make it your goal and make it your aim to live and honor Christ no matter what comes. Come hell or high water, I'm going to serve you, Lord, in the good times, in the bad times. When things are great or when I'm in the frying pan, I'm going to serve you all the days of my life. These are the words that have echoed down to Christian leaders and to churches and to members of the body for 2,000 years. These words first spoken by the Apostle Paul to the young pastor at Ephesus, and now he challenges you and me in 2019 to do the same thing. Amen? Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for this verse-by-verse study. And God, I just uh, pray that we'll take these things to heart, Lord. I pray that, Father, that your children will take these things home this afternoon, meditate on them, God, and, and I pray that it would challenge them to, to live their life to honor you, to live a life surrendered to the Holy Spirit, and to live a life that's governed by your word. In Jesus' name we pray, Father. Amen.